welcome to episode 11 of the Dear Patriarchy podcast. I'm pa- Jennifer. Pause this for dramatic effect. <laughs> what? When did I pause? Just, there was like a two or three second pause, almost like you forgot the name of the podcast, but then it was really dramatic. So if you ask Google to play the Dear Patriarchy podcast, yeah. it can't find it. But if you ask it to play Dear Patriarchy podcast. So I want to be mindful of not saying the Dear Patriarchy podcast. Oh my gosh. That's a really did good you, reason for the pause. Did you I'm, know? I'm sorry I mocked you. <laughs> You're it's so mean. A, clearly a clever plan. <laughs> my name's Lisa, by the way, and we're sisters. <laughs> you couldn't tell. Hermanas. <laughs> so. So Lisa's sick. She might have COVID. We hope she doesn't. So Merry y'all. Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We're recording late in our schedule, so it's actually the the first day of Kwanzaa today. The past couple weeks, poor Lisa has been burning the candle at both ends, and we've been having a hard time finding space to record, Yeah, making space for ourselves to record, which is very fitting. Um, So uh, we had a little blip on our podcast last week where the beginning may have played twice for you but you know what twice as nice so lisa's little sweet cherub played with her computer and added an extra two hours of content which she had to find and yeah that was a fun fun search and i obviously didn't catch everything so it could have been a three-hour episode so you're welcome you would have just heard the same sentence over and over again Anyway, we, so, we, we hinted in the last episode about what we were going to talk about today, which is super relevant. Yeah. Okay. Because it's, it's just always on our mind. Oh my gosh. Big time. Especially like shopping in the holidays. I know that you're not allowed out of your house, but nope. we are. So barely. And people like to take up a lot of space when they're shopping for the holidays and they're the only ones in the store, except they're not the only ones in the store. Mm. So, uh, and I always have such a huge problem with taking up space. I, I am a serial apologizer and real hard on myself. So in fact, last week I put out an ad for our show and I, my first draft, I said, Lisa's fire with the statistics and facts. And I am a blazing inferno of a dumpster fire. That's what the original one said. And I, I know. And then I erased it and said, and I'm not so bad myself. Or I'm pretty awesome myself. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think myself, I'm a fan of self-deprecating humor. Yeah. But there's a, at a certain point. What's your source? Where's that coming from? Right. And how much of that do you believe? And why would I be so hesitant to say, like, we're, we're having fun doing this thing. I'm. It's okay to say that I think we're good at it. Yeah. I mean, even that has a qualifier in it, right? So It's taking up space, isn't it? Right. And I think that the reason that I suggested this topic was because I was getting, I mean, going to the gym a lot more because it's kind of the only way I can get childcare for the kids. And, and so while I'm in the gym, like as I'm kind of skittering around the locker room, like a sidewalk crab, I always sidewalk crab. Well, sidewalking crab, right? Like, because oh, okay. they walk to the side. Crab. Yeah, not the sidewalk. Why are there crabs on the sidewalk in North Carolina? <laughs> this is such a weird state. I mean, I haven't visited, but like, what? <laughs> and why? And wherefore? Anyway, so these sidewalk crabs at the gym. Yeah. Um, so 
no, I just feel like I'll be wrapped in a towel, sweating my butt off, trying to like breathe through a wet mask because I always forget to take my mask off before I go into the showers. The, sh- the mask always ends up wet. And like, I'm apologizing for my existence. And but then in the same vein, getting upset at women who are like spreading out and like taking up space in the gym, like taking the time to put lotion on or have their things spread out and they're blow drying their hair, which they're paying a lot of money to be at this gym. Like they absolutely should do all those things and I should be doing them too, but I don't, for whatever reason, like I just have a hard time taking up space. So that's kind of been my exercise lately is to take up more space, to be more positive and to allow myself the luxury of just (laughs) filling out my skin. It's a journey, right? Because you get told. It totally is. From a, within the social construct that we exist in, um, we get told, women get told that they need to be small. Um, I was at the grocery store and women were coming out. uh, It was like two days before Christmas and women were, you know, kind of creeping along with their carts, moving to the side, like being a little bit more polite. And men were just coming barreling out at the end of aisles, like just, Mm -hmm. I'm here. And they weren't apologizing you know? And so I made it a point that day not to apologize for myself. And there was a lot of like charged eye contact with people that were expecting me to apologize for myself. And it was a lot with a lot of men that I actually was like cutting off and I was like taking up space and not being so afraid of my own shadow. And I think that men are taught, you you know, go ahead. And I just felt that I'm ready to take that back. So Anyway, yeah, sorry, I cut absolutely. you off, kind of, but you no, cut yourself off. I did. I did. Mm. Shame on me. I just want to mm-hmm. briefly, just from a historical perspective. There was Are we going great... back to the Paleolithic era? No, I'm not going back that far, actually. Okay. And this is, this is specifically based in um, America. The way that we're going to talk about it is going to be from a, from a white American woman's perspective. So historically... Like on the Mayflower? It goes back to colonial times. So, okay. yeah. Black women in America have historically celebrated a wider range of sizes, but white American women have really, the way that they have been allowed to be either big or small has really flip-flopped from a political basis. So in colonial times, a woman needed to be strong to run a household, so sturdiness was valued. And then after the war, middle and upper class white women strove to look thin um, and feeble because it was at this time that a woman's restraint on her over her diet was a reflection of her moral character, which it just is so grim. And then, in but the I way, would almost say that we're back there. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Ish. Like, like how? Like how strong of a woman are you? Yeah. Can, how can you starve yourself to death? Because that's a really painful thing to do. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to starve yourself. I know you've yourself. been practicing for years. I know. I'm super good at it by now. That sounded way more bitchy than I meant. I'm so, no, no. I, <laughs> it wasn't. It was funny because it's true. We got taught. Look, I mean, side note, our parents, right, allowed us to take diet pills from a very young age. I'll say our parents because one of them looked the other way and the other one literally forced it down our throats. But mm-hmm. we were allowed to take diet pills from our early teens that were full of ephedrine. So like we are no strangers to I think I ourselves. probably was bought my first bottle when I was 11. Mm-hmm. Maybe 12. 11 or 12. Yeah, so that that's all ingrained in us. We yeah. we know how to we know how to deprive ourselves of food. We know how to look at food as the enemy and we know how to look at our body as the enemy. And we, we know raised, how to take some speed. Yeah, girl. And we were raised in Southern California. Like you mm-hmm. can't find a 
deeper, darker bastion of self-hatred tying into what your body looks like than, than Southern California. I don't think you can. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, so, you fully digress. <laughs> I <know>. Okay. <laughs> Rain it in. Yeah. So we, we got the we got the antebellum. So after that, after the Civil War, we get middle and upper class women wanting to be really skinny to show a reflection of a, a strong moral character. And then in the late 1800s, a more robust physique comes into play because it shows reproductive health and also that luxurious look, like I'm fat and happy kind of a thing. Mm. Then in the 20s, when some women, like people will say all women, but we know that it wasn't all women, it was some women earned the right to vote. Mm. The flapper dresses, you know. Which women did not earn the right to vote? We're talking about bipolar. Anyone who wasn't a white woman, Mm -hmm. right? And I think there were other, there were other sort of citizenship things that came into it as well. So a very small proportion of women were allowed to vote in the 1920s. You get the flapper silhouette, which shows, you know, nearly shows the knees and women are trying to have a non-curvy body. So a really like a young boy's body, you know, no boobs, Mm -hmm. no butt, no nothing. Yeah. They, they bound themselves, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them did. They bound their chest. Bound their boobies. So there's a historian, Heather Addison, who said that women, when they became, when some women became enfranchised, they felt like they needed to prove that they could still be feminine, which is so strange because that flapper look is not a feminine look. No. You know, it's no, it's very, like a prepubescent. It's a, exactly. A super youthful, non-threatening, distinctly non-threatening is how she refers to it. And I think that's huh. perfect. Non-threatening to male power. But then you get to World War II, right? So 1939, and men get deployed overseas and the United States needs its women to be strong. So you get Rosie the Riveter. That is not a braille woman. That's a woman with arm muscle. She's a, she's a strong woman. But obviously then the war ends in 1945 and then in 1950s, the women are back. They've been kicked out of the factories. They're back in the home and you get the shape of the more buxom Marilyn Monroe's curves, which some people say is culturally associated with fertility, right? Full breasts, full hips. It's that mother goddess look, right? To be fair, there's a common misconception that she was very thick and curvy and she was quite thin. Yeah, she was quite thin. Probably for her body shape as well. She, Her body mm-hmm. probably wanted to be a lot curvier. Yeah. And when you watch, I don't know, Jenny, if you ever watch those old movies, like 40s, 50s, 60s movies, women are really skinny. Like their rib cages are flipping tiny. Like you mm-hmm. can put your arms around, your hands around it, you know? Yeah. Which is so grim. And we get this idea of like Marilyn Monroe, like, oh, it was such a curvy, like you were okay to be big back. No. No, you couldn't. You still had like you could have a you could have a, a curvy like hips and full breasts, but you you still had to have a tiny waist. So it was a completely exaggerated hourglass symbol. Um, yeah, and they wore a lot of foundational garments back in that sure. time as well. Oh, yeah. A lot of whalebone. Whalebone. Yeah. Well, not maybe not whalebone. Was it whalebone still? Yeah, still would have been. Okay. And then you get to the 60s when the legalization of the birth control pill comes in and women get more power over their reproductive lives. But as the feminist movement takes takes on some strength, mm. then a new diet industry, diet pills, weight loss pills, it, it gets it gets some foundation as like a reducing craze. You know, you get your twiggy, that really, yeah. really skinny look. Uh, weight Watchers. Came out in 1963. A 1966 study found that white teen girls in America wanted to lose more weight, while black teen girls wanted wider hips and larger thighs. They wanted that. They wanted Uh that curvaceousness. 
and white girls, all they wanted to do was just fade disappear. themselves away with yeah. to disappear. So then 70s, obviously, that feminist movement is trying to gain strength. But then you get into the 80s where you really get that push of that's where you see all those cheesy workouts of like the shiny tights and the, the leotards with the belts on them. You need to be physically small, but also really strong. Well, also cocaina. That, yeah. And then in the 90s, it, it, it goes even further that way, right? So you get your your supermodel waif, Kate Moss, right? Whose famous line is, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, which that's what we grew up with, Jenny. That's our that's our era. And yeah. that was really drummed into us, right? There is nothing mm-hmm. better than skinny. Skinny is mm-hmm. the aim. So you get... You can never anorexia. be too rich or too thin. Never be too rich or too thin. So you get anorexia. You get bulimia mm-hmm. surging mm-hmm. during the 90s. And then we come into... This time now when, you know, Hillary Clinton got defeated in 2016, we're now getting this, obviously, with what happened with Me Too. And we get the highest ever percentage of single women in the country. Um, Mm. Women are now starting to assert more control over their bodies and their careers. So it feels like it's moving towards something better. We know that the average white American woman is physically larger than ever, than she's ever been. So now uh, the average size is size 16, which, by the way, is at the upper range of what you will find when you go shopping. (laughs) So that's something that's getting harder and harder to find. And you still have that stigma of the smaller you are, the better you are. And uh, Sharon Wagner, who's the founder of the Women's Strength Coalition, said, choosing to take up more physical space is choosing yourself above a system that teaches you your worth lies in your ability to get small. So Mm -hmm. taking up space is an act of social defiance, which I agree with. I love that. It's very interesting. But I think there's also, you know, it's definitely not the episode to talk about it, but I think there's also, we we have an issue with diabetes and size in this country because there's not access to healthy food. Like if you can afford organic, if you can afford fresh, if you can afford more health conscious diet, you have to be wealthy in this country to do it. It's the same over here. So, it, yeah. Is, I think yeah, no, it's interesting to, to say that taking up space is an act of social defiance. It is, so. though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we what do we say when we're say when we say that we're sorry for the space we're taking up? Are we saying I'm sorry I'm here? Yeah. Because that's how it sounds. I'm sorry I exist in this space. And that is I think what some men hear when they hear women excessively apologizing. Yeah. And they and it makes them think if you're apologizing for being here, then I can walk all over you because mm. you're just offering your power up, you know. Mm-hmm. And that no, I actually have a. Oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. Go. In the Forbes article that I had, over apologizing doesn't send a message of strength. Instead, it minimizes yourself, your presence, and your contribution. Being more mm-hmm. intentional and in how you express yourself, blah, 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 will help you be seen as a leader, but whatever, fuck that shit. We've already talked about how people are going to make up their mind not to see you as a leader simply because you're a woman. So let's yeah. not minimize that here. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that's I don't I, didn't need to apologize at all, but I sure did. Shame on you. Say I sorry. Know, shame. Sorry, I'm sorry. Right. So with the excessive apologizing things, so there's been studies shown that women and men have very different ideas about what type of behavior actually constitutes an apology. So when men think they've done something wrong, they're just as likely as women to apologize, but women have a lower threshold for behavior that they feel constitutes an apology. Yes. I remember us talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. So 2010 study by uh, that was published in Psychological Science said both men and women apologized 81% of the time when they mm. thought their actions were offensive. 
But women reported committing more more offenses, and women are also more likely to report when they've been the victims of wrongdoing as well. Mm-hmm. So I think women are potentially trained to be more aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know you. We've spoken about this study before because they actually spoke to students, undergrads, right? right? Yeah. Which you thought was basically just a... Well, I mean, I just think a 21-year-old, a, tw- a 19, 20, 21-year-old man, boy, boy, they're kind of oblivious <laughs> to... They're pretty self-centered, and I would say I would argue that. I mean, this I'm definitely like I don't know stereotyping here, but I think that 19, 20, 21 year old women, girls, right? Yeah, they're a little about, bit more sensitive. We're talking about. So I think that that's yeah, totally. That was my only issue with the I know study because it brings you back to an essential point, which is. Why is it that 19, 20, 21 year old boys can be boys, but 19, 20, 21 year old women, and they are women because Mm -hmm. you have to be in this society. You have to mature more quickly. Right. And I know that scientifically women do mature faster than men, but I do wonder from the studies that we've been looking at, from the reports we've been looking at, the statistics, we know that women are sexualized from a really young age. And that sexualization that happens to, to young girls, that grows you up. It grows you up fast when you have And to it's re- even younger for women of color, girls yeah. of color. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So if you already are taking on and wearing the mantle of womanhood from a mm-hmm. really young age and inappropriately young age, of course, when you're 19, 20, 20, you're going to be more aware because you've had to be careful about what you're wearing. You've had to be careful about what you're saying. You've had to be careful about how you behave because otherwise you'll get attacked. You will be some predator's victim. Yeah. Off-paste. Sorry. Mm, No, I don't think that that's bad. So anyway, they spoke to these undergrads, right? And the women rate certain types of offenses like not apologizing for things that were done between friends, not showing up on time, not doing what you had said you were going to do. They rated that as much more serious than men would. Men kind of took Mm -hmm. it really easily. Whereas women were more likely to say that that friend deserved an apology. Mm. And when we look at these things, it's easy to say, like, just stop apologizing. If it's really ingrained in you, like it's it's ingrained in me, it's definitely ingrained in you, Jenny. You have to think about why you're apologizing, even just to understand it. Because when you're saying things like, oh, sorry, I didn't respond to your text message or... I'm sorry I didn't get back to your email. Yeah. You're reinforcing a notion that you've done something wrong. You're not just reinforcing that externally, but internally as well. So Mm -hmm. then you have guilt and self-doubt and blame and your confidence takes a knock because you just feel like you're constantly having to apologize Mm -hmm. for something that actually doesn't need it. Yeah. There's different ways to frame those things. Like I read something once that said, instead of saying, sorry, I'm late, say, thank you for waiting for me. Instead of saying, sorry, I didn't get a chance to call you back. Thank you for being patient. There, it was just like reframing the way you say things. But I think that there's actually, we're expected to apologize. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we're taught from a very young age that girls are more quiet. They're more thoughtful. Like you don't t- speak up unless you're perfect. Mm. The perfect thing to say, you have the right answer. So the behavior comes at us from both ways. It's expected of us. We're expected to apologize. Yeah, of course. And men are expected to be like, oh, he doesn't apologize. He just, that's not what he does. I've, I've Take him with a grain of salt. He's a little take, harsh, yeah. but take him with a grain of salt. How, I've heard that so many times in working environments. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. takes a certain kind of person to work with this guy. He's a little bit mm-hmm. more difficult. Mm-hmm. 
I took a job in New York once and they, when they were interviewing me, they were like, do you have a thick skin? And of course, whatever. And um, they said, well, he's kind of an ogre. And he was a fucking terrible person. And when I quit, they even called in their lawyer because they thought I was going to sue them, which I probably totally could have done. And I didn't realize I could do that. And they, he went through four ladies after me in pretty quick succession. And like, but he still was a partner in the firm. If a woman acted like that, are you kidding me? It's not a fire. Too fucking out of there. Yeah, it's Immediate. not firing offense for a man. So I have a good quote from um, New York Times. Hopefully I'm not cutting you off. No. Um, Women are in a double bind. If we talk in a way that people think is self-effacing, like apologizing a lot or not talking up what we're good at or acting like we're better than everyone else, underestimated at work. Dr. Tan. Anyway, we'll post this in the show notes, New York Times article. But if you talk in a way that you're confident, then you're seen as too aggressive. Absolutely. So it's a double-edged sword. Like if you stop taking up space and start speaking in a way that's typically seen as more masculine, we've already spoken about this in many episodes that it's frowned upon. But at the same time, if you do the other thing, then you're not seen as good at your job. So we know that women's contributions are systematically overlooked at work, right? So when women make themselves more visible, they face backlash for violating expectations about how a woman should behave and and that that can lose them career gains, you know? Mm -hmm. Harvard Business Review talked about a 2013 study that they did where they planted themselves at a large U.S. nonprofit. The women that they, they looked at in the study knew that they needed to be visible and knew that being noticed was the was the traditional strategy for advancement. But many of the women that they were talking to were rejecting that and trying to have more of like a conflict avoidant strategy. And what they're calling it is intentional invisibility where you avoid conflict with your colleagues, you soften your assertiveness, you get stuff done by moving things around without drawing attention to yourself, which really makes me think back to myself sitting in that meeting where the guy wouldn't talk to me, the client mm. wouldn't talk to me. And I was like, well, I, I just need to get the job done. I know yep. how that feels. It feels like the right thing at that time because you just mm-hmm. need to do your job. Mm-hmm. And the the consequence of it is that these women that do this, they're well liked, but they're underappreciated because mm-hmm. nobody really knows what they're doing. Yep. You know, it's not that whiz-bang crash of success that, that men get. Yep. And can I just say one thing that I think is so ridiculous is they were supposed to be in 2019, March of 2019, NASA canceled the first all-female astronaut spacewalk outside the um, ISS, the International Space Station. And the uh-huh. reason why was because the size suits that were needed by um, the two female astronauts, so Christina Koch and Anne McLean, Only one of them got prepped for the spacewalk and the mission didn't happen because there wasn't enough space for their, both their suits to be done. And NASA discontinued making extra large and small size spacesuits, but brought the larger size back because some male astronauts needed them. But the small suits, which fit female astronauts, are still unavailable. They haven't started making them again. That seems really off piece, but somehow that just... It ties into this for me because... Oh, it's, it's fucking like, infuriating. It's what it is. Yeah. Fuck you, NASA. How many millions of dollars do you have? Make a damn small suit. And fucking Jeez. prep it. If you've got the first female... Like, wouldn't that be the first thing you do? Like, are the suits prepped? How fucking insulting for those women who have been working their asses off yeah. to become astronauts. Yeah. To be like, so sorry, Jane, you don't get a suit. 
Chris- Sorry, oh, I didn't Chris- listen to their names. Sorry. Chris- yeah, it's okay. <laughs> oh my God, you're part of the problem. I am. Uh, I erase women. I totes didn't listen to their name. No, I but- didn't. Yep. So I, so I wasn't paying attention, but you're doing such a good job. Keep going. Christina and Anne. So it ended up being a, the guy, one of the guys, and one of the one of the gals went anyway. Right. Um, oh, so his suit was prepped, even though he wasn't part of the, the situation. Yep, yep, yep. No, no, that's <sighs> that was a choice that someone made. I know, right? Someone made a choice. No, or is it someone just going? Yeah, we, the spacesuits are fine. They're always fine. We always have a large spacesuit prepped. But then they're like, I no, don't know. We actually we need a small and a medium. They're like, oh, damn. I mean, couldn't she have just cuffed her pants? Like, that seems we, really high maintenance. Hey, for sure. <laughs> just pin it. Just pin it. It'll look fine. Duct tape. <laughs> um, just going back to that Harvard Business Review study. So they went into a couple different things, which was the women in the study, when they kind of delved deeper into why they're doing this conflict avoidant thing, the women felt like being more visible in the office hurt their odds, but also being less visible in the office hurt their odds. So they knew that they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. They knew that. Because it doesn't matter what you do unless you have a woman advocating for you in the leadership team, or unless there's a man in the leadership team who can look past the fucking patriarchal bullshit and empower you and propel you forward the way that it's done typically for white males, you're not going to go anywhere and nothing you do or say is going to fucking work. Damn girl. I Sorry. Told you about that no, I just was thinking about this the other day because I'm looking, I'm watching people progress in their careers and I'm so proud for my counterparts and how well they're doing in their careers. And I remember when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, one of my mentors at the time told me you have great momentum right now. If you don't do something amazing in the next few years, your career won't go anywhere. And he was right, because no matter what I fucking did, my career didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking about this, women trying so hard to empower each other, to take up space, and they just are fucking stuck, staring up through that glass ceiling at fucking other people going above them who are not smarter, who are not more educated, who are not more driven, who are not more passionate. They just got the fucking hand up. They got the fucking help to continue moving in their career while other people who are more deserving are getting the help and they're going to heights that other people can only dream of thinking that they did something wrong, questioning what they said in the meeting, what their executive summary looked like, all of the things. And it's fucking bullshit. And this is why we wrote the book and are doing this podcast because it doesn't matter what you do if you don't have the allies or you don't have the mentors that help you get to where you want to go. I agree. You're a spicy meatball. <laughs> you were saying? Yeah. So many women turn to invisibility to avoid backlash from their bosses and colleagues. <laughs> yeah, I never did that. I agree with everything that you said, Jenny. And I I think that the next point is one that I really struggle with. And that is some women feel really inauthentic when they're very visible. Mm. I don't like to shout. I don't like to self-promote. That isn't, that isn't me. And so they don't want that. They move more towards like a communal style, doing the work that they need to do, helping their colleagues, you know, 
But the problem is, is they, while it stays consistent with their personalities, you don't take up space. You don't take credit for what you do. You remain less visible. And I, while I feel like there is a really nice feeling in maintaining your authenticity, you have to work on your company culture to recognize that kind of authenticity as just as valuable as the loud, self-promoting leadership style. And when we get into being a mother, which I know not everybody is a working mother, but we are working mothers and we tend to embrace intentional invisibility because it gives you more time and energy to fulfill the obligations that you have. You know, Mm. it helps women avoid backlash from their partners as well. So some women, when they have kids and then they come back to work, if they choose to do that, and then they try and take professional risks or they try and move their careers forward, they can sometimes find that it's to the detriment of their family stability. And some mm-hmm. people's partners don't like it. They get right. threatened by it. Yeah. You wanted to have a kid, so stay home and have the kid. You can't have it both ways. So mm-hmm. you, can, you can have as modern a partner as you possibly could hope for, and there is still an accepted gendered burden of maintaining family stability. Yeah. And that happens when someone gets sick. That happens when there's an emergency. It happens whenever the status quo that you've all gotten used to falls away. And so you tend to, in a cis relationship, right, a cis two-partner relationship, you tend to see women who have their careers crafted about around flexibility and stability, so maybe a part-time, lower-paying job, while their husbands have a riskier but potentially more rewarding job. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's higher earning. And this has a lot to do with the traditional culture that, that a corporate construct has always taken. You know, yeah. I want to see you in here first thing. I want to see you at night. You die at your desk. You always take the phone calls. And as working mothers stand up and say, look, I need more flexibility. That flexibility is automatically like, okay, well, it won't be you. Yep. It won't be you that moves up to the next level. It won't be you. Well, we also have a company. stigma attached to a working mom that we don't have to mend, period. We talked about this in another episode, but mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go back to Jane. Jane had to go home early. She has to pick up her kids. Yeah. Joe left work early, but he always goes to the gym between 5.30 and 6.30. So don't try to contact him then. You can either you can talk to him tomorrow morning. And that's somehow that gym or that whatever, or the, you know, the darts championship or the bowling league that Joe's a part of is far more acceptable in the corporate setting than Jane who had to pick up her kids from daycare or school or whatever the fuck. Agree. Can I also just say that darts over here in the UK, they actually, they have that on TV and people sit in the audience and cheer, Jenny. It's the craziest (laughs) shit. Snooker too, right? Snooker. Oh yeah. But I mean, yeah. Okay. I guess I, I kind of like watching snooker tournaments, but I know if you knew about Ronnie O'Sullivan, you'd know, but I'm good. You don't know about him. (laughs) I'm all set. Thanks. (laughs) Oh, I mean like the dark guys are all like, they look really slovenly. They for sure like live in a basement somewhere. Wait a second. Are we still talking about darts? Yeah, and can I just say they all have really <laughs> weird nicknames like the ham fist or the clam bake. Like they're all super random. Why are it's we still talking about darts? It's not. It's been seven hours. I, I think the, the thing to so, say is, can I just say this thing? One thing. Sure, only, you have only, my permission. I'll do. allow it. 
So <laughs> the main way for organizations to counteract the implicit biases that penalize women is to change the workplace culture, right? Align your behaviors yeah. and your processes and your systems with an egalitarian organization that minimizes the risk for people who step into the spotlight. Yeah, I'm talking about women, bitch, but also I'm talking about <laughs> anybody who's not a white man. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so a lot of these articles kind of devolve into the same, like, here are the tips for not fucking getting shit on at work. And, Olivia, you know, yes. they told you to be loud, right? Be loud. Girl. Hold on. No, no. Listen to this. This is from Forbes. Okay. Three tips. Practice self-awareness. Oh, fuck off. Go fuck yourself. Seriously. What woman isn't completely aware of every single aspect of herself? I mean, women even notice if they've got a hot dog hanging over the edge of their bra and their back that they don't even see. Why would you keep food in your bra? Oh, you know what I'm talking about when you get that roll on the top that I like full, <laughs> like a full rack of ribs hanging over my bra at this point. Oh my God. Kind of made me hungry. It made me think of a Costco hot dog. You're those. a vegan. I would for anyway, sure. But like sure. women no, are horribly. Jen, this is important. This is important. <laughs> I would keep a Costco hot dog in my bra because those things are good. You're the worst vegan ever. Anyway, all I'm saying is that women are so hyper aware of everything about themselves to a certain extent i mean i have like gone places and looked down and i've got full baby sludge on the front of the back that's of me that's a different thing that's a motherhood thing that's yeah, the exhaustion yeah. of no but women there's the funny thing practice self-awareness like fuck no. you women are that's why we're apologizing every five seconds because we are horrified at ourselves for taking up space have you ever okay, then the second next, you know like i don't know if this happens to you if you take public transportation but over here you like have to right? Mm. And when you sit on the tube or on a train and you have to swim in the times when you used to sit next to people and it would be like one man in the middle seat with his legs splayed and two women like pressing their knees so close together that they're actually like one legs on top of the other leg and they're like crumpling in their seat. Yep. Man spreading. So they don't, yes. So they don't have to touch that man's meaty thigh. And then if that man had to sit next to, if a man sat next to him, he would pull his legs in. But yep. if it's sit, sitting next to a woman, he just spreads that shit out. And if you so say I have a quote from, anything, I, okay. I have a quote from Elite Daily that says, why is it that being female means we have to be aware of the space we deserve, in quotation marks, to occupy? For our entire lives, women learn to be accommodating and amenable. While men are taught to be adamant and stand their ground, even physically, we fold up into ourselves, cross our legs, and feel yep. small in a chair. Yep. Guys, however, have no problem stretching out and taking up too much space, be it an extra seat on the subway or elsewhere. Amen. And can I just say, I posted something on our Instagram stories, which I'm going to be doing, which is my new exercise for 2021. If I'm walking down the street and a man comes towards me, I'm not moving out of his way anymore. He can step in the street or step to the other side of the pavement slash sidewalk. And if I run into someone, I run into someone. So the woman that posted it said she'd run into 28 men because they thought she would move. Yeah. See, I'd be afraid of violence. Oh, I don't care. Because that would, that, yeah. So, um, I had two, I, there's a refinery 29, uh, article that had like a slideshow of different women telling the different ways they take up space. And of the like 10, only two of them were actually where people took space. The other eight were like people just not apologizing for their existence, which was 
heartbreaking, but that's, you know, maybe we'll have to do three episodes about this. But anyway, one of the women said, I never move out of the way when crossing paths with a man on the sidewalk. If he wants to walk into me, then walk into me, he shall. But usually they move off to the side at the last minute. Good. Well, let's see if it happens. I'm serious, Jenny. I'm going to take freaking videos of this. This is what I'm going to do when I have to go back to work. It's going to be great. Just be careful. Fired up. All right. So uh, the three tips, the first tip was practice self-awareness. Fuck you. Uh, The second tip, change your vocabulary. Mm, Edit yourself. Edit yourself. You are not allowed to freely communicate. You are not allowed Mm -hmm. to be truthful and authentic. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Fuck Forbes right now. Okay. Okay. Number three, be confident and intentional. Are, are you fucking be aware kidding? of yourself you just, you just told us to be super <laughs> self-aware and to edit what we say no but then be confident and intentional so uh, be but be intentional in your quiet so basically it's up. like a snake eating its tail right mm-hmm. this chomp 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 fuck off yeah here's what so. i say be loud <sighs> feel and show your emotions don't move out of the way and talk to your body I said it last time, say it again. Check in with your laboratory, bitches. And I said it in English. I'll say it in American. Okay. Check in with your lab from the neck down. So here's what I say. Okay. Clearly you don't agree. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that stuff is fine. But here's the thing. Yeah. Just be your authentic self. And if your fucking authentic self is fucking tired and you don't want to make eye contact and you don't want to fucking talk to anyone at work that day, then don't fucking talk to them. And don't smile. If you don't want to. Don't smile. Don't hold the door open for anyone. Just do whatever the fuck you want. Get a coffee and just sit down. Put your head down. Put your headphones in. Get your shit done and get out of there. If you're feeling fired up and you're feeling like you want to take up space and elbow the shit out of everyone in the room, then fucking do it. Build up your support system as best you can. If you're Mm -hmm. in a role where you're not going anywhere, start fucking applying for jobs. Take control of your life. Take control of your situation. Don't allow people to tell you what you can and fucking can't feel about yourself or your surroundings. It's time to take control. And I'm not fucking saying some bullshit, fucking Rachel Hollis shit where I'm saying, oh, get fired up, girl. You can fucking do it. No. Wash your face. Take control of your life in any way that you need to. Take the tiny little steps that are going to get you from there to here. Eat better for breakfast. Eat breakfast. Allow yourself to eat breakfast. Have fucking carbs. Do whatever it takes to add fire and power to your day because you've been giving away your power for far too fucking long. Exist in your skin. Exist in your job. Exist in your life. You don't get another chance. Can I interject really quick? My therapist, what, Rachel Hollis? No, my therapist always talks about how women are born with an essential fire. I love my mm. therapist, by the way. I know I always talk about her because she's the biz. But she talks about women being born with an essential fire. And that fire over time within our construct, because it is a racist, yeah. patriarchal construct, that fire gets yeah. dampened. Whenever you feel fired up about something, whenever you feel drawn out by something, whenever something excites you, that's the call of your fire. Mm. You need to answer that call. When it starts to wake up, that's special. It's leading you somewhere. Listen to the call because it's there. It's in you. But the way that we have to live now, the way that the world treats women, it dampens your fire. So just listen to your body. And like Jenny's saying, live authentically and 
when you feel the call, answer it. Or at least yeah, and it's hard. It. I mean, we're all so fucking tired. This year has beat the living shit out of everyone. So I'm not preaching. And I, I said the thing only about Rachel Hollis because there is some inauthenticity there and the borrowing of other folks' words, which I don't believe in at all. And she should be ashamed of herself. And also that thing with her husband. <sighs> we don't have to go there. If you want to read, if you want to get fired up, Brene Brown is a great place to start. She's great. Um, but there's also people like Rachel Cargill and Opal Tometi. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. read some Toni Morrison. Yeah, and if you feel if my you Angela. feel like you want to be more educated about things that are going on in the world, fucking pick up a book. Yeah. Read about it. If that's where your passion is calling you, do that. Don't se- Don't settle for the status quo anymore because, honestly, the people in leadership this past year have shown everyone how little they care about everyone. Yes. The people in power have made so much money this year, and I'm not sure I know anyone else that has. We're all in a fractured, weakened state, and if you can find something that interests you, just even the slightest, follow that passion. Follow your love. Follow your joy. Yes. Follow all of the things. Honestly, I know this sounds really hippy-dippy, but if all women found their fire, can you imagine what would happen? Yeah. Dude, shit would be craze. It would be a maze craze. Like a booze cruise, but way better. (laughs) It would just be, it would be totally over the top. There would be a fucking reckoning. And I think that's so long overdue. Totally. And I, and I think that that's, you know, that's one of the main reasons why we wrote the book and started our podcast. And it's just becoming more and more clear to me as I struggle to, not struggle, as I, continue to learn how to be more authentic in my life. If you're tired, respect that and give yourself a break. But if you feel even the slightest bit pulled towards something, really look into that. It'll be hard if you wake up five years from now and you are so wishing you had looked more into that thing. 100%. We've been talking about doing this podcast for so long. I Mm -hmm. never felt worthy to do a podcast, which is so bizarre. I I need to look into that myself, but I will go there at some point. And now we do this podcast and we do the, we work on the book and we try and make it like hone it down make it better and better and it's super tiring we have to do it outside of the hours of paid work and outside the hours of childcare. but it's a commitment that i have to make because it feeds the fire it calls to the fire so i have to do it i also would say that it's the most fulfilling and the most energizing thing i've ever done but of course it's all as exhausting things. as it is it is but so. it's also yeah it's that it's that listening to the call yeah. and knowing that it's worth it I think that was a great conversation and I I definitely have more to say about it, but I think this is a good place to wrap it up. And I just want to say this is the last episode of 2020. So fucking good riddance to this shit house of a year. And um, we just want to reiterate if you are struggling or you need help, or you are having a hard time finding resources, please email us at patriarchypod at gmail.com. If you have food insecurity or if the latest round of lockdowns uh, is going to fuck you up, we are here for you and we will do what we can to hook you up with people that can help. You know, follow us on all the social media, subscribe. We're everywhere now. We just got we just got on Pandora. So I think we're pr- pretty much anywhere. Um, yep. You know, share, share us with your friends. We would love to keep this going. We would love to expand our reach and help more folks. We're really, really, really energized and excited by this work. And this next, this coming year, we've got some stuff planned that we're so excited about. And we are just hoping that we can continue to expand the ground we cover as far as sharing 
just cheesy as this fucking sounds like messages of hope to folks that are, that are, that are being suffocated by the corporate world, because the more people we reach and the more people you reach out to about this, we form a community of people that are 100% dedicated to helping each other. So we want to build a like-minded group of women that uplift and empower each other. And we want you on this journey. We need you on this journey and we love you. We want to hear from you. So it would yes. be great. It would be great to have you along for the ride. Yes. We appreciate your support and your subscription and your reviews. We're finding out that we have more reviews than we know about because <laughs> for some reason, Apple just is not cooperating with us as far as like amassing statistics so i just have to quickly shout out that we got an amazing one from kate who is actually a friend of mine and i love her very much and she basically just said the only podcast i listen to these two are the best i love all the stats from lisa uh you're welcome things you suspect (laughs) and are horrified to hear are true or worse than you think the chemistry between lisa and jenny is infectious it's like you're just sitting chatting to friends and they are laugh out loud hilarious to the cat but there's Serious talk is honest, factual, and interesting. Only with the honest discussion can we move forward. Keep going, Lisa and Jen. Our daughters will be thanking you. And Kate is the best. And she has a beautiful daughter. And I hope that, well, she's super strong-willed and amazing anyway. So if we can give her all the tools she needs to be, Boudica or whatever Mm. it needs to be, she'll be it because she's incredible. So thank you, Kate. You're amazing. And please do your reviews. That was from the 9th of December. We only just got it. So it seems to take about three weeks for us to get a review. So please submit them. It's great to see them and we, we love it. So thank you. And it'll help us maybe be even able to turn this into something that we can continue doing. And yes, because that all ties into the algorithm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, for me, all I got to say is love, light, and good night. Yep. Smacky Joe. <laughs> 2021. Here we come. Slappy Joe. <laughs> <for> God's sake. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>